All right, so the goose bought it. But that's the way he always came at the world. Max, you'd be the first to admit it was long overdue. All right, I'll tell you how it is. You're a winner, Max. You're on the top shelf. And I'm not going to lose you because of some crazy notion about quitting. They say people don't believe in heroes anymore. Well, damn them. You and me, Max. We're going to give them back to heroes. You really expect me to go for that crap? Hello, listening people. Hello. <laughs> well, politics already breaking. Hello was funny enough. Do I need to say any more? I think I don't because that was so hilarious. <laughs> Dude, if you if you tell the listening people what they're listening to right now, I think I'll lose it. <laughs> wow. Well, well, guys. Goodbye. It was great oh, doing this show. Well, thank God I didn't lose it. I thought you were going to say something like, you're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I'm Ryan Slowinski. Yeah, I'm Ryan Slowinski, and that's Bartek over there. Has a last name, not just like Madonna, where they're the singular name. I actually said to somebody recently that, although we're both Polish and that my last name's hard for normal people, I have a hard time, hard time pronouncing your last name, and then somebody said, Bartek has a last name? We never hear it on the pod. And I'm like, there's a reason. He's Mr. K. And yet, when you Google it, it's just written right there. It like, is written right there. But oh, no no is. pronunciation guide. Who needs it? Yeah, so so how is it pronounced, your name? And not, and also, how is it mentally? How's your name going? <laughs> let's, let's break it down into syllables. The first one is cusp. Like, mm. you're on the cusp of whatever cusp means. Yeah. And then the next one is shit, like you're saying shit, but without the T. Mm-hmm. And the last one is shuck, like, oh, shucks. Okay. So cusp, sh, shuck. Oh, there you go. And it sounds like an old soothsayer curse. Cusp, sh, shuck, cusp, sh, shuck. But we are obviously spit and polished likingly because we are always spitting. And we're spitting young gentlemen. And we both happen to be Polish. That's it. That's what we call a thinking person's joke. Mm, yeah, it's like a two meanings. Yeah, it's a it's a double entendre, as the French would say. Ah. Double entendre. I came first in French in my year, so I can I know how to speak the language. Not Polish though. Go back to the old days where I have to let people know that. But uh, enough of that horseplay. Let's get into the main play of uh, out of pet play. Now let's get into main play of. Our show, Pictures Powwow, in which one of us recommends a movie this in the week. We watch that said film, come back and talk about it. I recommended the film that we're doing today. It's called Mad Max. You may have heard of it once or twice before. Oh, yeah. And uh, that is my recommendation that I gave. And then the next episode will be you, the listening people, and the one after that. We Bartek. That's our cycle of things. That's right. You can recommend a movie. It's not just Bartek and myself, but you'll have to wait to the end of the episode to recommend a movie. You're going to have to keep your mouth shut. Okay? Keep quiet. I don't want to hear your recommendations until the end because you know who's talking. Bartek, right now, he's about to say his history with Mad Max. Yeah. My history with Mad Max is that uh, once upon a time, I was given a copy of Mad Max on DVD. By who? Mama. (laughs) What's so funny, Brian? Nothing. Oh, okay. Um, Nothing at all. (laughs) Yes. uh, Is that how you say mum in Polish? uh, Mama. uh, Mama, mamo. Mama. 
Mama. <laughs> no, say it like the baby you did before. That's, a, that's the accent. To do Mama. <laughs> there is a sort of baby in the film. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, my mama gave me this R-rated film and I watched it and it was a good time and I have not seen it since and that was probably late 2000s. So this was a revisit for me. How old were you when you saw it? I would say that I was 14 or 15. Okay, so under 18. Yes, and it was an R-rated film. Your mum's irresponsible. I'm just going to say it right now. How dare she? Do you want to tell her that in person? Yeah, if she's brave enough to come on the pod. <laughs> I'll say it right here. On, right here. Uh-oh. Bartek's mama! You're irresponsible <laughs> showing this boy an R-rated movie before he's ready. Hey, she didn't show me the film. She just gave me the DVD. Oh, so she gave you the fireworks all to yourself and yes. didn't even stay around to see you burn your she fingers. Didn't pu- she didn't put it in a DVD player or PS2 or whatever and then press play. She just gave me the DVD and walked away. And winked and said, you know what to do. And then winked and walked away. And then you lit the firecracker and burned <laughs> yourself. It was great. Okay, interesting. And you have not seen any other Mad Max film, or have you? I've only seen uh, Fury Road after this one. Ah, so you did have some passing knowledge when you went into Fury Road of the Mad Max cinematic universe. Yes. Uh, Do you think, just random side question, was it beneficial? Did that help you when you watched Fury Road, do you think, to understand the world given to you in a previous one? Or do you think after all this time that, that it didn't really like the, the Mad Max Fury Road kind of works on its own merits? Um, I think it had been quite a bit of time between the two. So maybe it didn't really influence me all that much. Um, but considering that in that film, Mad Max wasn't quite the main character and we didn't get too much of him, you know, probably might have would have been nice to... You mean like in every Mad Max movie, he's kind of not the main character and he's kind of in the movie Well, when things I, happen at him, well, when I like walk, in this one? Well, when I walk into Fury Road, I didn't know that that was like the big thing of the franchise. Mm, um, the film opens up with him, Fury Road, giving his narration and eating a lizard <laughs> and giving you his backstory, which we see unfold in this movie. Okay, well, do you remember if the backstory in Fury Road was pretty accurate to this one? I mean, it's as accurate as the continuity in these movies are. The, the continuity is crazy in these movies, okay? Like, let's not forget that Toe Cutter also played a Morton Joe. They don't... There's just some things in these. The most continuity you get in the Mad Max movies is Max's injuries. So in the second film, he has a leg brace on from where he got shot in this movie and oh, also has some cool. stuff on his arm for when he also got his arm run over in this movie. And then I think in the second movie, he gets his eye fucked up or something or rather. And then in the third movie, his eyes, you know, so so because George Miller, and we'll get into this, he was a emergency room medical doctor guy. So a lot of the injuries in the movie, are very accurate to the best of the abilities that he could. So so the Mad Max movies come from George Miller seeing horrific things on a daily basis and saying, I could apply these in a movie. Mm. So so the continuity is what they are. But I was just curious. So, so do you remember what it was like watching that first Mad Max movie? Were you aware when your mama gave you that DVD? Were you even aware of the Mad Max films? Were you aware of their legacy? Were you aware of what they were at all? Or was this yet another one of those instances where you got what is considered a classic and you were unaware of what it was? Uh, I definitely knew the name and that it was a big deal, but I didn't know too much more beyond that. I just knew also that 
this was a very classic Australian film, a mm-hmm. uh, big thing for Mel Gibson's filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the DVD itself was like a special edition with like a little booklet and like a special cover that was like, you know, all around that it was talking about like, this is the greatest Australian film ever. It was <laughs> the most profitable film until something else. Blair Witch Project. That's it, Blair Witch, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so you knew the name, but you kind of didn't know too much. Like, you didn't know about it being this kind of post-apocalyptic inspiration child for the genre. It has been a while, so I can't say for sure, but I think I would have known about the post-apocalypse part and the fact that vehicles are a big thing. Okay, so my history is I've watched these movies I don't know how many times. They were just always kind of on. Yeah, Each one of them three times. Yep. To match the number of, in the trilogy. And then Fury Road fucked it up. So I have to now watch them one more time each. The other ones. Watch Fury Road. One. Then the first one. Then Fury Road again. Second one. Fury Road again. Third one. That's how you Four do times it. each. That's how you do it. I was just going to go the the like this one, second one, third one, Fury Road, one, one, one. And then just keep doing them like <laughs> that to drive myself crazy. But uh, I, I grew up with these. They've always been around. I knew of the... I mean, just by growing up with them and growing up in Australia, the Mad Max movies have their have their mark here, and they are a, a successful film franchise that came from us, and and it launched helped launch the career of one of the big movie stars. Who obviously we all know Mel Gibson has his problems. We all know about Mel Gibson's issues, but it is let's not deny the fact he was a mega star at one point, and so. These movies helped that in large ways, as well as George Miller is a very prolific director. He has been a very uh, interesting one to look at in his filmography. He will do these movies, but then will do Happy Feet Mm. and and then go back to the Mad Max movies. So he is very interesting. He did uh, Babe, I do believe, right? That was his movie as well, I'm pretty sure. At least he was involved in Babe. So. He, he he goes around the place. And also he did one of our movies that we've previously covered on the show. Do you remember what George Miller movie we've done on the show? Oh, God, we have done something, haven't we? Mm-hmm. What was it? Well, well, let me give you a clue. Okay. John Peters produced it, uh-huh. the famous producer that we love so much. And he saw this movie and said, oh, wouldn't it be cool, George Miller, if we put aliens in it? And George said, no, this is a movie about the devil. With Jack Nicholson called The Witches of Eastwick. Right. And so... He directed that? Mm-hmm. Jeez, George, I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, because you can't tell it's George Miller because he's in the studio machine at that point. But, uh, yeah, I grew up with these movies. The Mad Max movies are iconic to me. I would say that the one I remember the most is honestly Beyond Thunderdome because it's the one with the most lines of dialogue and the most bombastic uh, set pieces. Uh, Tina Turner is great in that movie. It's not a good movie kind of annoying there comes a point where the movie like it, it just drops off a cliff mm-hmm. but uh it's a fascinating one nonetheless and it has memorable lines in it such as two men enter one man leave that's in reference to the thunderdome and and there's many other things but uh the first movie is what we're talking about today and i like the first mad max movie i think it's very underrated because everybody wants him already in the deep post-apocalyptic world where he Barely says lines of dialogue, and he's just this badass guy with a car. And in the first movie, he's not that yet, but he becomes that along the way. Yeah, and the world isn't 
that yet. It is quite. on the way to being that. And I find it so cute. I don't know if you read any trivia, but one of the pieces of trivia was George Miller did not conceive of this being a post-apocalyptic world. That just came from budgetary things. <laughs> and then they just kind of leaned into it after a little bit of time. And then the sequels just really committed to the bit. Mm. I forgot to read the trivia. So if you got any more, like, Oh, yeah, there's so much on me. <laughs> trivia. Oh, wow. Uh, what was your experience revisiting Mad Max? The thing I always remember from my first experience mm. is that I walked out from it and I thought like, oh, wow, that film was way too short. Like for some reason, that in that first viewing, it must have just flown right by for me. So like before I, last night, before I watched, you know, the film for this podcast, mm. I had a look at the runtime just to make sure. And sure enough, it was a full 89 minutes. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, maybe that's a testament to my viewing experience that first time that maybe I liked it so much that it it just zoomed by. Mm. Um, I didn't remember too much about it, just like little visual things. So it was nice to revisit. It almost felt fresh to me. Yeah. Um, other than, I guess, the climax, which that seems to be what most people remember. That's what you're there for. Yeah. When he uh, goes mad. Where he goes very mad. <laughs> sad and mad. It could have oh. been sad Max or sad sax. I don't know. <laughs> Get out. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Bartek's gone, and now it's just me hosting it on my own. Uh, I love the movie. Oh, good, dude. Did you, Ryan? Good job. Oh, my God. Bartek's back, and he's back, and he's mad. <laughs> yes, I was sad when I was out there, but now that I'm back, I'm mad. Yeah. Um, And watching... Okay, so watching it again last night... It was really interesting to revisit because I did remember all of those uh, little general things. Like, mm. I obviously knew that this was a franchise known for being, you know, super post-apocalyptic, uh, very rusty in a lot of its, a lot of its aesthetics, things mm. like that. Um, and I did remember this film didn't quite reach that yet. And it really was interesting to see just how together everything was. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a police force. There was a police force. Their vehicles looked a bit, you know, but col- colourful, beat up. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they were old police cars. They were real old police cars. They were, yeah. Um, and I remember years ago, like, when I asked, like, oh, so is that is this franchise actually post-apocalyptic? Because I've seen the first one. It didn't mm-hmm. seem that way. And you told me the reason it was was because of a petrol thing or yeah, something like in that. Yeah, in the sequel, in the second one, they really go into the fact that uh, there's an oil crisis and things kind of spiral out and then nuclear war and mm-hmm. stuff kind of yeah. goes on from there. And, and that notion, I think, was kind of evident late in the film where you see them like trying to steal petrol from that huge mm-hmm. tanker. So it's like, oh, okay, they're, they're showing a little bit there. Beginning of the film says, you know, this is a few years in the future. So it's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. kind of believable that this is, you know, just a little bit worse than what 1979 would have been. Mm. Well, that's the year this film came out, right? 79? Early so, somewhere in the 70s. But somewhere yeah, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so how did you feel about it, though? So you remembered it being short the first time, which is very funny because I always remember this film being a slow pace. Yeah, it felt it. A very it, slow burn. It film. felt it this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so did you like it? I did like it. There's a lot of interesting things to point out about it. Um. And I can definitely, because I have heard notions of some people who got into the franchise later with, you know, the second or third films, which are apparently much more bombastic. Again, haven't seen them. Oh, and sexual. And sexual. Um, 
uh, coming back to the first one and seeing like, oh, it's not quite, you know, what I what they wanted. Mm. Um, so it is interesting seeing something from the beginning, not having, you know, too much influence from what comes later. Yeah. And even just reading trivia of like, oh, this is the only Mad Max film that has a shot of the ocean or things mm. like that. It's like, oh, wow. The only one without a voiceover narration to end the film as well. Okay. That becomes a staple of them. Yeah, this film just ends. Yeah, no, it just ends where it needs to. <laughs> Uh, he, he's, he's completely consumed at the end. Uh, I, I, um, we'll, we'll get into the grander legacy of the other Mad Maxes a little later, but I, uh, yeah, I like the film a lot. It's not my favorite Mad Max by any means, but I like, uh, it in general. And I think it is often overshadowed because, you really do just want what people's perceptions of the Mad Max movies are, which are different to the Mad Max movies. So, for instance, like you said, many people, not just yourself, but like many people went into Mad Max Fury Road expecting Mad Max to be the main character or the main focal point, and he would have lots of lines of dialogue and he would do actiony things. That's never the Mad Max movies. The Mad Max movies, uh, he bail in the sequel, Mad Max 2, uh, the road boy, his 16 lines of dialogue in the entire movie. Oh, that's like Terminator 1, Terminator. Mm-hmm, but he's the main character, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. And in, in Fury and in the other movies, there's no Furiosa equivalent. It's just kind of he walks around from place to place having things happen to him and other like he is swept up in other people's stories. And this is what I like about this one is there is an emphasis on character things, but the structure of the movie I find super fascinating. It doesn't fully work, but this is a clear example of an early filmmaker having an idea and trying to explore it with no budget and no full understanding of how to do story structure. But I really do like this idea and the way it's done in a way where the first half of the movie, Max is kind of in it. Is kind of there, but we're focusing on Goose and, and and the gangs and the other things to really set up how dangerous and 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 morally depraved the world is, and that once Goose gets his bad ending, the really horrific burning of Goose and the what whatever Max sees of his body, that brings Max into the story. That that this uh, this. Uh, other protagonist character gets wiped off the map it, it is you know what i'm saying by that like yeah it reminds me kind of of video games in weird ways in that manner where in some video games like i'm playing the near games where you start off as one character and you're like this is the journey i'm on la 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 la, la. and then you just get wiped off the map and now you're another main character now you're the real protagonist and you may not have known that and so Goose is a great... I like that idea in the movie. I don't think it all comes together, but I like this idea that there's the norm... Like, the the only good cop, like, the only good person, Goose, because he's, like, morally outraged and he has convictions and he seems like a good enough dude, but then he gets a horrific ending that's a warning to Max to leave, and Max then proceeds to escape and leave but he can't he gets dragged in anyway and then he doesn't get the bitter ending that goose does but he gets a in a way you could argue an even worse fate of he's lost everything and now he has become as evil and as corrupt and as insane as the people that have taken all that away from him yeah it's a tragedy story but uh, i do think that my appeal to the movie is that 
attempt at an avant-garde structure for a movie because the usual structure of this movie is you just follow max the whole time and he goes back home to his wife who's playing saxophone and and you have all these intimate scenes of really hammering in that him and his wife and the baby are super cool and they're gonna have dreams and desires and all of that stuff but i i I like this attempt here to throw us a curveball and to really hold max from us as the character but it still gives us most of the uh, a lot more characterization and uh, uh uh stuff of max out of all of these movies in the way that a traditional movie would he has wants needs desires he has fears in this movie other than in the other ones where you know what he wants in those other movies gas that's all he wants yeah can i just get gas what else does he have left yeah. that's all he got and can i get some dog food for my dog that's all he wants. That's all he wants in the other movies, but then other people fuck with him. And even then, he's not after them for revenge, but more, they took my car, I need the gas from my car. <laughs> That's, and those are great movies, but if you're looking for what what made Max become this and did Max ever actually care about the world, this is a good movie for that. I think it's really good to see a version of the Mad Max character that actually had hope and actually believed that things could work out, but was also aware that things were fucky enough to try and escape it, and then he gets the ending that he gets, in which you can't escape this. You're going to become a part of this. You are going to become the crazed road warrior with the badge, like you worry about. (laughs) You said a million things right there, and I had a million thoughts, and I have to kind of get it all together. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. You've already said the T word, the tragedy. That was also going to be a big thing that I was going to talk about. This film, when you really do break it down, it is quite poetic in a Mm. lot of ways, because you said that you know he has that ending, which is arguably more tragic. Um, But even when you just focus in on Max's journey throughout the entire film, there is the poetic leading to that tragedy. Tragedy is like an inevitable ending. Mm. Max's uh, mental motivation in the film is that he is dealing with so much messed up stuff that he is worried that it's going to take a toll on his sanity and he's going to become, you know, just as bad as them. The hero is going to turn to a villain. And he is consciously aware of that which is quite impressive and he is trying to take steps to avoid becoming that and he does take steps that you know on paper sounds like it is going to lead away from that but the chains of fate do not want him to move away from that Mm -hmm. and they push him into that tragic ending really hard really brutally and and with the uh, the brilliant way that the world building is done in the film it really delineates that there are two type of people here. The perpetrators of violence and the victims of it. Yeah. And Max doesn't identify as either of those, but he has to become one of those in the end. And he's not going to be a victim of it. He is going to be the perpetrator of it. Because is there anyone that you could identify as a noble character that actually gets that's okay in the movie? Because the closest I could get, other than Max himself, who gets a fucked up ending, is... His uh, is Fifi, his chief, but he's insane. <laughs> like Fifi's kind of nuts. Good fashion, though. Oh, I want to get into him because <laughs> I, in a moment. But all I'll say is, when I watched the movie, I wrote in my notes: this is the role that Bartek would want to play. He had so many lines of dialogue that I'm like, Bartek would really relish having to go at those lines of dialogue. For for anyone who <laughs> this is this is the first time listening to the podcast, Ryan is. 
Usually pretty good at picking favorite characters for me. (laughs) (laughs) He had so many lines that I'm like, Bardzik would relish saying these. Look, just you chew into those. Look, him watering the plants shirtless (laughs) with a tie was enough for me. With a tie or scarf or whatever. (laughs) He's got his big bald head and he's got a big mustache. Um, It's it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what else do you want to want to touch upon? Um, so another thing that you uh, touched on the world. Mm. Um, and also when you mentioned the video game thing, uh, this because this isn't the beginning of you know whatever troubles has happened. It's like a little bit in. Mm. The film is pretty good at making the world feel already lived in. Mm-hmm. We're already kind of at a status quo of what this world is like. We've got the crazy hoons. Mm. Uh, the gang, who some of them are in prison, some of them are still out there, some of them are working to take them out of prison to go some, rejoin the gang. Some of them are becoming martyrs. On some purpose. of them are becoming martyrs. We're having, like you said, victims uh, being victimized. Like just random people will get chased down, knocked down, and well, raped essentially, or just intimidated, as or well. intimidated. Like the, the station master guy. Yep. Or you know, mix of everything, and then they go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like okay, this is this is the world that this story takes place in. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of it, and also we're gonna see the moment where you know things take a huge shift for our main characters. So the you mentioned Nia was your one that you thought of. Mm. The one that I thought of was more towards the Suda 51 end. He mm. has the game Killer 7, which yeah, yeah, yeah. that game is separated into multiple chapters. Mm. And one neat little thing that he does in that game is that each chapter is uh, numbered for, like, this is the mission of the group of main characters. And it starts at, like, 34. Yeah. And there are all, and throughout the game, you have all these characters that are already dead, that they killed from previous missions, just talking to them because when they kill mm. people, you know, their ghosts hang around. And it's really good at, like, getting this really lived in feeling, but it's also because it's a game and it's telling a story, leading to a conclusion for this character's story. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I felt with with this film. You know, Max has already become, you know, the the great police guy. Um, he gets relied on when he's needed. Um, and we see, you know, where it all leads to, essentially. It's not a full ending, but he, he does go somewhere new at the end. Yeah. And, um, and even in the sense that, like, the first we see of him is this kind of classic, you know, actually moment. Like mm-hmm. the music swells, yeah, yeah. And, and you as... get the you don't see his face, and then you do, and yeah. it's a big <laughs> shot where it pans up. And that's what I just want to say too, for a low budget film that when we talk about post apocalyptic stuff like a uh, dead end driving or whatever, and you think schlocky, but even back then where George Miller had to pay people with beer, that's how he paid people sometimes. <laughs> Stylish camera work. Like, it's a beautifully shot film. Oh, yeah. For what is a very, like, cheap, like, raw, grungy film. It's, like, those glory shots of the of the vehicles or of Max or even of Toe Cutter, you, you nod your head going, this is the guy that did Fury Road. Yeah, and when you compare it to, you know, a, a much more Hollywood film, the, the film I'm going to bring up is Tango and Cash, which yes. we've done a podcast on. Your um, favourite film. Our favourite film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's better than Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> It's no movie 43. <laughs> um, specifically, Sylvester Stallone's first scene, you know, it's mm. kind of similar in setup to this. You know, there's a chase happening in the desert. Um, the regular police are struggling to deal with it. Mm. Then our main character, you know, comes into frame and he deals with it. Mm. We have a very similar thing happening in Mad Max, but it's 
done in a very different way. It takes a very long time for us to get to all of the max parts of it. You know, we've got this really, yeah. really long chase with like four police officers, two of which are kind of comic relief-y. Mm, um, even one of them gets like a horrific fate in the movie where they no longer have a voice and they have to use one of those, uh, I can't remember yeah, what yeah, the I forget the as well. Modulating, the voice you know. modulating. The, the Ned from South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool sound. Um, yeah, it, it's... It takes a while for us to get to that hero moment, and even when we do see him for the first time, we still have more of the other cops doing things. And then in the end, when Max does, you know, get into his role of stopping the villain, it's more of just like, I'm going to follow you, and that's intimidating enough. So it's not even like a glorious, like, oh, yeah, Max, he's the big hero. One of the things that's recurring throughout these movies, I would say, and it's here, is we're seeing hero shots or these glory shots, but they're done so bluntly and matter-of-factly and with and because of the world building as well, the general, like, the thing that you can say about the Mad Max films is the world feels so defined in each one of them, even if they're not as consistent from film to film. Like, when you watch the film, you, you get it. You're like, I get what this is, the world. But they're not heroic. They're very depressing. There's this air of, like... Yeah, this is a hero shot, but like his hero shot when we first see him properly, like in full body image, is him sadly looking at the burning bodies of Knight Rider and his girlfriend and looking at it being like <sighs> again, mm. this is this is what we've got. Yeah, it's just like- more death and destruction. It's not the Stallone thing where he walks in with his big magnum gun and his glasses and he's making quips or whatever. Ma- Mel Gibson and uh, like a lot of Max things are just he walks in and it's just this scene of death. Yeah, it's more of like a okay. <laughs> he's more of a specter than a hero. Yeah, it's like okay, we we've stopped them. Uh, what do we have to show for it? And it's just a body count of how many people mm. died along the way or lost their voice or, yeah. Yeah, and it's just violence. One of the things I love about George Miller, especially in the Mad Max movies, now that you, you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, so you can attest to this, you can see it here, and you see it in full form in Mad Max Fury Road, that George Miller is so evidently wanting to make a movie with little to no dialogue. Mm-hmm. And he just wants it to be the visuals and the action and the and not just the action scenes, but the actions characters take. And it, this has lots of dialogue, of course, but you can tell that the guy wants to be able to tell these stories with as little dialogue and just as visuals as possible and see if you can get away with it. And for a film of this era, it's still striking how that's trying to be achieved. And then we, when you watch Mad Max Fury Road in the age of the Fast and Furious and the age of where we've had all these quippy action movies, that movie, like, you don't remember much of the lines of dialogue. It has memorable quotes and all that. But, like, what you remember is the visuals of the movie and how he could communicate these things by how to frame a car in the shot and how to have the characters barely exchange any words, just looks at one another. And it's so crystal clear, to me at least, when you look at this first Mad Max movie, that this is something that's interesting to him. And he's trying to scratch at it here, but he doesn't, he can't get there yet because he's this is a first you know early time yeah, filmmaker. Yeah, there's, there's for anyone who hasn't seen the film, there is plenty of dialogue, and, but but there is also a sense of like they don't want that to be too much of the thing that's driving yeah. the emotions. And or it's whatever. very minimalistic dialogue in a way where mm. the dialogue is is 
direct. It is, this is the point, and it's not flowery dialogue. The most flowery you get is Toe Cutter. I was about to say, like... And that's throughout, what makes him a fun villain to me. Yeah. And, and the villains in the Mad Max movies often have flowery, eloquent dialogue, or kind of, it is performed that way for the juxtaposition of Max being, yeah, you were tell- I just want fuel. You were, te- you were telling me that in last week, that Road Warrior, like <laughs> the villain is very polite, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Lord yeah. Humongous is this huge bulking bodybuilder guy with a hockey mask and he's just in a leather jock strap <laughs> with a megaphone and he's very much please give me the gasoline I do not want to hurt any of your men but if you don't we shall have to unleash my dogs of war please Max and he's very very polite yeah. but he's like a scary <laughs> motherfucker and even Toe Cutter I was about to, yeah. he's, he's creepy oh do you want to hear a fun fact about the actor of Toe Cutter so, so I said that he played a Morton Joe, but would you be shocked to find out that he played Eddie in Rocky Horror on Australian cast for the stage show? He played Eddie, which was Meatloaf's character in Rocky Horror, the the delivery boy who sings. With the, you remember that character at all? A little bit. The one bit. who comes out of the cryo freezer and he gets hacked to death. <laughs> a little bit, song. yeah. I have to watch he, it again. <laughs> he plays. He plays Eddie. He played. He played Eddie. I should say. Yeah. Our friend Stefan interviewed him at a convention once, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I just want to kind of circle back. We'll get to the villains because they're they're very fun. But mm-hmm. this is your second time visiting it. You mentioned that this was a lot slower paced for you than you did recollect. Did you find that to be a hindrance, or did you find it to be in the favor of the film? Ah, uh, I th- I think it's to the favor. Um, because obviously I only remembered little bits of like, obviously there was Max, there was the main villain Mm. and there was his uh, wife and his child. Mm. And those are the four characters that really stuck in my head. So the fact that there actually is quite a big cast in this film, Mm. um, which I thought was incredibly short, uh, was really cool. And like, I didn't remember Goose at all. I didn't remember Fifi or any of the other cops at all. The lady at the farm and her Mm. farmhand. It was just really interesting because, you know, the visual looks of these characters also tells us a little bit about the world. Like some of the hoons look a bit, you know, rough and crazy. And that's Mm. really uh, in contrast to how clean Toe Cutter is for a name like Toe Cutter. Like this guy is so clean and the like just he contrasts his group so well. Well, uh, Him and his right hand man. Him and his very Bubba something. Yeah. Yeah. They're both very uh, punk looking, but they're very... Yeah, they're a lot more sharp than the others in the visuals as well as just their performances. I I, I also love, uh, uh, with the pacing of it, it, it being a bit slower than a regular movie, especially of, would you consider this an action film? <laughs> I know the other ones are. but the, like, Well, the climax, yes. But. but there's lots of driving around and car stunts and bike stunts. Mm. It's a stunt movie for sure. People nearly I die think, making this movie. I think you so. got. I think you got stunt awards. So. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, 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 it's slower paced. It really, really soaks you into how fucking miserable this world is. This bizarro version of the world that they live in, where I didn't even know if this is supposed to be Australia because they're all doing weird accents throughout this movie <laughs> too, which is very funny. I mean, on purposely the actor of Toe Cutter, every scene he's in, he's on purposely doing a different accent to really emphasize how unreal and deranged this character is which i think was very effective i think it actually works uh but it just this slow burn really gets you at this point where once the gang finds his wife and the baby you are just dreading it because you've seen them just 
fucking murder and rape and rob and do all of these horrible things, especially, like I said, with Goose earlier, which is very funny that you said you don't remember Goose, because when I first watched this, the thing that I really remembered was Goose being burned alive and the and the burned hand coming out and the whole entire hospital room thing where you're like, what is he now? It's, what is this thing? What it's is certainly going to be more memorable for me now, yeah. Yeah, and Mel Gibson's reaction to it and the shock of it and the music swell. That's not and- the Goose. Yeah, that's yeah. Whatever that is, it's no longer a person. It's a thing. It's a creature. That's not goose. That's not the goose. I don't believe it. Um, I remember goose very strongly because of the horrific ending. Which I I'm gonna say it. I, I even though the wife and the kid get murdered at the end of this movie, I don't think anyone gets it as bad as goose in any of these fucking films. He gets it pretty bad. That's it's very memorably horrific. And what was that like for you on the revisit of how? bleak and nihilistically violent and and just gross and torrid the world of Mad Max is. How did that feel for you when you were revisiting it? Because that's something that most people remember, but that's not one of the things that you brought up in your memories of it as much of like, oh, you remember these things, but how was it to actually come back and see was it as is it as tawdry or as like depressingly violent as I'm saying it is, or is it different for you? I guess if I were to think about what I might have taken from it the first time round, it might have just been focused on like, oh, the 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 gang of villains were the the center of all the badness in the film. Mm-hmm. Not so much, you know, whatever other elements in the world there were or what other people looked like. Like I said before, you can gather a lot from you know character design or costuming. Mm. Um, so definitely this time around, I could see it in a lot more of a general sense. Yeah, just people's attitudes. It's just reflective of the world that they're from. Obviously, the gang are the you know source of all the violence we see in the film. A I lot get, of violence. A lot of the uh, police as well. But- the police are, are pretty violent <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> and this is a movie where people just have weapons on them. For the most part. And then you also had, like, the little sort of joke of, like, oh, the, there's a courtroom scene and they the lawyers for the <laughs> villains are still kind of, like, these cartoonishly whingy, annoying oh, I lawyery lo- characters. I love how weird the Mad Max movies are, including this one. There's this one scene. I don't even know what this was. I can't remember the full context, but Fifi's talking to this guy. Do you remember this? He's talking to this weird little Weasley guy with like I think he had a mustache and he was like in a suit, but on top of his suit he had like a vest of some sort and it was like what is this vest? And then the guy gets up and he goes down to the stairwell mm. and he and he puts on a fencing helmet on top of his head <laughs> and he's like goodbye and I'm like what the fuck was I what, what was this? Well, I, for, I forget the helmet but I remember the scene yeah yeah and he but he puts on a big like a uh, you know sword fighting fencing helmet <laughs> thing on his head and he walks out and like why is this happening George Miller could you come back to this in one of the other movies please yeah and Happy Feet uh, yeah. Oh, and Happy Feet. Are you a fan overall of the post-apocalyptic genre? I know this isn't technically post-apocalyptic. The world is dying in this movie, but uh, you know the Mad Max movies are very influential in that sphere. How are you with that in your media, whether it be video games or shows or movies or books? Uh... In general, I've enjoyed the post-apocalyptic stuff I've done. A lot of things have played with it. Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking on a lot of manga and games I've played. Mm. Uh, maybe not 
maybe not so much resembling this kind of uh, punky mm. uh, aesthetic, but in general, it is an interesting setting to explore because there's just so much you can do with it. Mm. So it is always nice to see, you know, different uh, interpretations of it. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it overall as a genre. And I uh, I mentioned this in our Dead End Drive-In conversation. I wasn't a fan of that movie either. Yeah, you're and asking again, if was this worth it? <laughs> was this worth Was Mad Max worth it? Because that's another, th- that's a whole topic to talk about was, is Mad Max worth the shit that came out after it? Because... It was a cheaply made movie that was really successful. So, of course, you're going to have Roger Corman and all these fucking B-movie schlock filmmakers try to rip off that and and get a profit. And it just flooded the market. And not just movies, but in many things, such as you watch a Mad Max movie now. And you... uh, Okay, think about this. Say you're a teenager now. You're a teenager and you're still you. You're a gamer right, because you're into games, you're a teenage gamer and you watch Mad Max movies and you go, oh, that's silly. I've already played Borderlands. Right? Because Borderlands just is ripping off, like, Borderlands is just a Mad Max movie. Yeah, I think that one is more inspired by Mad Max. It's clearly yeah. just Mad Max movies, but, like, these movies are so long ago that people, like, dumb like that, but it's also, like, there's so direct influen- like direct influences that there's very little separating it. And I wonder if, like, Mad Max, even though this film I would say is flawed, it's in a way so crystalline in what it is that the people who take inspiration from it most often than not just replicate it and just change the names around or add dick jokes or or (laughs) make it more rapey or gross or or whatever. And I I often wonder when I watch the the trilogy of Mad Max movies, I go... (sighs) I like Mad Max movies, but I don't know if I can tolerate the fact that it really spawned a whole bunch of shit I really hate. Like, I hate the Borderland games, by the way. I hate I've them. never touched one, but yeah. <laughs> I played one of... I played the first one, and I hated it. It was like the b- villain who looked exactly like Lord Humongous, and then the text would come on the screen saying, he has three testicles. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so can I shoot him in that third one? No, you can't, man. That would be fun. Oh, yeah. So f- for some common ground, do you see much of Mad Max in the Nier games? No. The Nier games feel more response to, uh, and this may be me reading into it because it is a Japanese-made game, more response to the fact that Japan has been bombed twice by <laughs> nuclear weapons, such as like how Godzilla is a response yep. to that. So I look at that more in that light rather than the genre itself, more taking inspiration from the real horrors of the world and applying it into uh, uh, into the game. And also, those games are clearly someone has read a lot of philosophy books mm. and they're going to put them in there as well. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe with that whole thing in mind, a lot of the, since I consume a lot of Japanese media, so a lot of the post-apocalyptic stuff I've seen would be more in line with that. Maybe that's why I've got a mm, bit of a different view. You've got a bit of a different view. But so that makes Dead End Driving a bit more fresh for me, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But uh, 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 yeah, I, I want to talk about more about the movie mm-hmm. Mad Max. Uh, uh, wh- wh- okay, I've talked a lot about the goose stuff and, and that that setup. What was that? How did you feel about that? Because you've forgotten about Goose, but how was it that set up? Did that work for you? Did you see what the attempt was there? Did you agree with what my interpretation of the attempt was there? Because it is a very different way to structure a movie. Yeah. To have basically the first 
30 to 40 minutes follows somebody else yeah, this, completely. This film's called Mad Max, not Great Goose or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> um, but like I said, lived in world. These are ca- all the characters that we meet are characters who have their history and we may not know, you know, the biographical details of it, but through the way they act and the way they interact with people, you get a sense of who they are. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in this story, you see a lot of these characters' downfalls, their ends, mm-hmm. or, you know, what their future is going to be in Goose's case since he doesn't die. Um, it does lead to that whole bleak feeling of like, wow, just bad things can happen to anyone. Yeah. And this character who was so animated and will now be memorable for me as he was memorable for you. And I'm sure for many others, um, even he is not immune to any sort of plot armor or anything like that. He is in trouble. Yeah. And that applies to the villains as well as the heroes. And that's what makes the Mad Max movies cool. Yeah. Even though, you know, he, before he gets burned, he does go through a few accidents and comes out pretty all right. Like, he lands fine. It's, it's yeah. tall grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's tall grass. I, uh, I, uh, I love Toe Cutter. He's my favorite villain in all the Mad Max movies. Morton Joe is pretty good. Lord Humongous is fun, but not in it enough. And uh, I mean, I like Tina Turner in, in, in Beyond Thunderdome, but also she's kind of not in it enough either. I, I don't know. Beyond Thunderdome's its own beast. But I like Toe Cutter. I love how eloquent he is. I, I really do. Uh, I, I can't not think of his scene where he grabs the guy by his face with his fingers. And it's very awkward, but also it's very... I don't know, intimidating and scary. And he's like calmly speaking to him. It's a classic villain who's speaking ever so calmly to you. He doesn't need to shout, but then he'll do weird things like at the end when Max is going after him, he'll just look at him and then just go. Yeah, and then he kisses. Walk, go off. And it's just, oh, okay. He's unpredictable. And that gentlemanly quality, you can tell that this is an actor who had a. A little bit of a Shakespearean background. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I find him the most memorable villain because uh, he does a lot. He does a lot in comparison to, to me, other Mad Max villains. He affects Max more directly in the plot because he does kill his wife and kid. And uh, he has a very memorable look to me. The other ones are cool, but they are... One's a mask. Another one uh, who's played by this guy has a mask on too. And then the other one's Tina Turner. And so, I don't know. I find also, out of all the villains, he's the character who's allowed to be performed the most. The other ones, it's more their physicality, but this guy's allowed to have the physicality as well as playing around with dialogue and really inhabiting a person or a character. The other ones, they're they're cool, but they don't have that edge to it like Toe Cutter does for myself. Yeah, um, you say that he he does a lot. I kind of was looking at it from the opposite sense of, you know, you get a really strong idea of what his gang is. Like mm. the whole beginning of the film, it was just the Knight Rider guy and his girlfriend, and he's you know absolutely insane. He's saying all these very quotable lines. <laughs> um, and then when you see more of Toe Cutter's gang, you know, they're a lot more you know crazy or impulsive things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, they all have their different eccentricities, like the blonde guy, the Bubba. Yeah, yeah. What's it? Uh, you know, he's a bit more, you know, serious, talky. Mm-hmm. Then you got some crazy ones. You got the, the what's his name, Jimmy or something? Johnny the boy. Johnny the boy, who's a bit more, you know, weaselly and like twitchy. Um, yeah. 
And then, He's like, a piece of shit. <laughs> he gets a great ending, though. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, Toe Cutter is eloquent. His his face is very clean. He speaks very clearly, and his words, uh, you know, strike you very hard. He changes the accent a bunch, mm-hmm. and it's just like if this guy is in charge of this gang that does all this stuff, and he seems to be a bit more, you know, literate and eloquent. Mm-hmm. What sort of facade is he putting on? What sort of <laughs> things is he capable of? Yeah. That's kind of what I was going for with uh, mm. when I was watching him. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know what this guy actually can physically do, but I don't I, I imagine want to find out. I imagine it will be very horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the first Mad Max movie introduces a staple, many staples to the franchise, one of them being when villains die, you get a really close-up shot of their eyes bugging out of their head right before they get hit by something. That's a staple. <laughs> Yep. That happens in most of them, if not a good portion of them, is you get a shot of close-up on their eyes as they go red and bug out of their head while they realise that they're going to get fucking killed. I love that in these movies. It's very cheesy. It's very fun. If you see more, you'll notice it. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Togat is just a fun character to me. Uh, the movie's got fun characters. I-, I like Johnny the Boy. He's a piece of shit. Where In another film, he could be the reluctant gangster guy who's pushed into doing bad things and he's actually secretly good on no 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 he's just a garbage person who needs to die as well (laughs) and max doesn't give a shit about him and at the end like when johnny the boy is giving all of his rationales for why he's doing bad things currently you really sell no he's not good there is no that typical script writing facade that little trick of the innocent young fresh-faced gangster boy who's actually good but he's being brought in by peer pressure to do bad things no he is just garbage so when max handcuffs his makes him handcuff his own foot to the thing and lets him decide to hack his own foot off or hack through the handcuff and then the trick is uh he doesn't even have enough time to do either, and he just dies. <laughs> uh, and Max just drives off, just completely stone-faced. He doesn't even have satisfaction in the guy's death. He is just crazy. Yeah, explosion, no reaction, credits. It's a great way to end the film. Mm. I know it's like it ends, but <laughs> some movies, just they just need to end. Yeah, well, I don't think Max is looking for a silver lining. I no, think the whole it. idea is, you know, he's become a monster in a sense yeah. He, oh yeah he's a monster he's he he's a he's a shell of a man i love mel gibson's acting once he becomes mad max like don't get me wrong i don't mind it when he's just max but the scene of him waiting outside the hospital room hearing them talk about his wife and kid and like just, he's just standing there like a zombie oh yeah but also like an, an animal panting oh we haven't talked enough about like the cars and the stunts and the fighting, which is a large portion of why people come to the, these movies. You and I are not car guys. Not at all. Not at all. I couldn't tell you a car but, model. But, but <laughs> this movie, less so than the other ones, but this movie does have the he, Max's car. Mm. I get it. Yeah, like, they- when I watch a movie like this, I get that sense of, yeah, fucking run him down with your car. Yeah, drive, rev the car. I want to see the engine burn. With, with me, it was like, they're like, oh, it's got a V8 engine. I'm like, oh, that's a thing people like. Clap, clap. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, his car's cool, though. It is, yeah. It's got, it, the, it's it's, it's got cool. the metal thing on the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it obvious that I don't know cars? It's, but, it, but it's cool, right? Motor, I think. Yeah, it is, it is. It is cool. It is cool. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's the real one or it's a replica that's in one of the uh, in the ACMI Melbourne Museum. There was they something have like, like a yeah. big Mad Max car. I was there. thinking there was something like that at Fed Square. Yeah, yeah. and uh, no, no. The car stuff in this is, is done well. 
Again, we've got to remember that this is a guy making a film on a shoestring budget. He's having to get cars brought in. He's having to get all these things done. He's having to get old cars that are decommissioned and having to smash them up. And people are risking their lives making this movie. Like people are like mounting themselves on cars, moving to hold. Like this is dangerous stuff. This is real guerrilla filmmaking <laughs> happening. And yet the technicals of the movie, when you look at it, you can tell it's a lower budget film. But yet, the technicals of the movie are so slick that I'm not thinking that this is a gorilla. I'm not thinking that this is a Who Killed Captain Alex level movie. Yeah, again, one of the other things that when I said I was thinking of a million things earlier was um, El Mariachi, which I know mm. we didn't do that on the podcast. We did but Desperado. I, I watched it for uh, Desperado and obviously I talked about it a bit there, but that was also a film that was like, you know, shoestring budget, mm-hmm. really good film. And, you know, it's one of the success stories of low budget films. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting knowing that these two films were the same in that respect, mm. but they feel so different. Like, you don't really think about a lot of the limitations because it is made so well. And I didn't know about the fact that people risk their lives to make it. Oh, yeah. But in the in the scene where Johnny the boy throws the uh, thing onto Goose's car and it smashes in the window, and it's like, oh, that was really accurate. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, like, oh, I wonder if they had a guy on top of the car, like, just smash it into mm-hmm. windscreen. And then I dismissed it, like, no, no, that would be ridiculous. But <laughs> from what you're telling me, that maybe that is what they did. Yeah, yeah. There's a... At the very end, here's a very funny moment, and once you know it, you won't unsee it, unless mm-hmm. you already saw it. Yeah. They wanted a big truck, which they get, to destroy a bike, which has a tow cutter on it. Yeah. But the guy who owned the truck agreed to do it, but he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to damage his truck. So if you watch the movie, they made a giant like uh, metal shield or barrier in front of the truck and painted it to look like the truck. Okay. So that's what hits the bike and the truck is fine. So is it Once like Once you know that you will see that they painted lights that are on even though it's day. So is it like a two-dimensional mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's But it's shot from front on. Okay. You can you can tell once you know and if you're a keen-eyed viewer but you yeah. didn't notice it just happens no, like that. But that's the level of uh it reminds me of Ed Wood the film where uh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Wood, but uh, uh, where's the cockpit? And then, like, while he's saying that, they're building it around him. He's like, you're standing in it. And he looks and he's in it. <laughs> it's that we're putting a film together. And we talked about that last episode. I was with, about to say, yeah. With that there's a sense of community here and the sense of people who really, really want to make a movie and they're doing the best that they can with what they've got. While with, uh, you know, trauma films, they're wanting to make fun movies with what they can do. This isn't, I want to make a fun movie. It's, I really want to tell a story. I really want to explore this gritty world and have these car stunts and just do all this. Like, they had no filming permits. They are filming in Melbourne, outer Melbourne and Victoria. What, I was about and stuff to say, like that. one of the only trivia points that I ever remembered about this film is that they filmed two of the scenes where the V8 car was at like the Melbourne University car park. Yeah. And they didn't have permits or rides, but. They had such a sense of community that they were real bikers, like outlaw bikers, a part of the gang that were a part of the film, and they had to give them little notes. No joke. They had to give them little notes, which is referenced in the movie, to ward off the cops, saying that they were in film production. So in the movie, Goose gives these two, like this bike guy with his girl in the sidecar with like the little bubble like glass dome that she puts over her head. He gives her a, a, a note and he winks and it's like an in in it's a meta it's a little joke. Yeah. <laughs> for the filmmakers saying like 
give this to, if you pulled over, give this to a cop. It's a get out of jail free card. They had to give that to the bikers. Right. Because these are real bikers and they're carrying fake weapons on their car, on their bikes and stuff. Mm. And so they would get pulled over from the cops. It was like real life uh, uh, bigotry, I guess, towards the crew of this movie because some of these people, some of them with like the peroxide blonde hair and the punk outfits or the bikers or even the crew members would go to places and they would be chased out of town or chased out of the place because they weren't welcomed. The classic, uh, I think one of the punk guys, maybe Bubba, he went into a restaurant and they kicked him out because we don't serve your type here because he looked like a fucking freaky punk biker dude and people are scared of those Mm. so that's a thing but there's also this sense of community because people became aware that these guys were making a movie and they wanted to be a part of it and help them and do all that with the police found out (laughs) that they were doing this and they just kind of sectioned off roads for them to do stuff so this became a real group effort, and it's not just George Miller just had a camera and did a really good job. It's like we've got stunt people, we've got people bringing in cars, we've got people, real uh, bikey gangs and all of these things. And you can kind of feel that in the movie that people care about this. Mel Gibson wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. You know, he didn't even audition for the film, according to the IMDb. He went with his sister who was auditioning to be in the movie, and he and he had been in some kind of fight or accident. So he had like these, this real like bruised head or whatever. And they said, Hey, could, could you come like, do you want to be in the movie? We need more freaks. <laughs> and so he came back a couple weeks later and they didn't recognize him because he looked normal. And then he had to actually audition. And so he got the part of Max. He wasn't even uh, initially supposed to be in this as right, Max. So yeah. Wow. Well. There's those kind of things where it's really fun, and there's a plethora of trivia I could go through. That's just more and more stories like that of, you know, George Miller taking these experiences from his life, seeing many people who have survived or been uh, in car wrecks and accidents and stuff on the roads, and he's putting that into the movie, mm-hmm. and he's wanting to 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 have that there and. Also, not knowing how to do stunts. In the second film, when we do cover it, you'll see it. There's a stunt in that movie that you see it on camera that went wrong. And the guy fractured so many fucking bones and broke so many bones in his body. And he could have died. And it's one of those where you see the stunt and the guy, you can tell he he misses where he's supposed to go and his feet get stuck. And he does like a pinwheel spin in the air. And you, the audience, go, fuck me, that's a great stunt. Mm -mm. (laughs) Stunt gone wrong. But it's in the movie because it was... That's the take you get. Yeah, you're gonna waste that. You're not gonna waste that take. And uh, yeah, I, 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 what I like about the the Mad Max movies is it is the 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 descent into the bad part of ourselves. Max descends. It's a tragedy story, and we just see the world do that as it goes along. the The trilogy I would describe as this one's dying. The world is dying. People are dying. It's a decaying world. The second one is just death. That's how I describe it. It just Everything's fucking dead and miserable. Max has no shred of humanity. He's just this monster, lifeless monster who's just going from scene to scene. And then the third one is kind of rebirth. The world is building back up again. And then, well, Fury Road is a redo in the most perfect of ways because you brought up a a little while ago that there's a scene near the end where there's this tanker and the guys go onto it and they're taking the petrol out of it and there's people pole vaulting onto it and motorcycles going up to it and people jumping on it. And 
is done very matter-of-fact here and very rudimentary. It's not at all flashy or exciting here. But I can't help but think about how George Miller likes that idea and likes these things and he keeps putting them in because one of the things that many people remember about Fury Road is those guys on the massive like massive sticks that pole vault from thing to thing mm. and how people just jump on the on the tanker in that movie and just leap and bound and all of that so this is clear that there are things here that he wanted to do better and that's why Fury Road's a great movie because it is one of the few movies in which somebody who actually was the person who made the movie has said I could do that better and he actually managed to do it better and bigger. But bigger and better. Yeah, you just said it. <laughs> bigger and better. But it doesn't wipe out the quality of those original films. Like, we can still watch those. And maybe when you watch The Road Warrior, The Road Warrior is... Fury Road is almost just a remake of The Road Warrior. There's some differences, obviously. But it is... The Road Warrior is very much how much of the movie can be Max and co. drive that way and the villains are after them. Yeah. Well, which is Fury Road. <laughs> and in, unlike in Fury Road, they just don't turn around and go back. Yeah, well, with, and with the whole petrol siphoning scene and also Johnny the Boy throwing the uh, mm-hmm. tank lid and smashing the windscreen, um, yeah, those really interested me because, damn, they were really accurate. Like, mm-hmm. it really shows you these characters' actions they didn't mess up at all. They got exactly what they wanted to get done. And it just shows you, like, these guys are experienced in this thing. And again, it tells you that's how yeah. messed up the world is. They've been doing this long enough to that it is, as you said, matter of fact. Yeah. And with all of these movies, you have it here. There are characters where they don't even have names. They are just the thing that they are, the station master, the this guy. And they have weird names and they're just a thing. That just becomes amplified as the trilogy of movies go on and then the then the uh, Fury Road goes on. I appreciate, I really do, I commend that George Miller had this germ of a thing, like these germs in his brain, these ideas. And as his film career has gone on, he just wants to keep ramping them up and bringing them to fruition. How much... Movie, how much of a movie can I just not have dialogue in it and just world build? Just visual cues of world building. That was one of the great things that people love about Fury Road is so much about a Morton Joe and his entire plethora of uh, war boys. You get the knowledge of it from just visual visuals. You go, okay, I, I you can deduce these things from what you're shown. And that is that is present here. But he's learning and as somebody who's seen the other movies when i go back i do really get something out of that it is when you revisit or look back at the early works of a of a a beloved filmmaker and you can tell that they're figuring out their 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 watermark their style such as if you went back to an early stanley kubrick movie which we've done a couple of stanley kubrick movies you can tell okay he wants to really do these center shots but he can't do them as much as he will do in the future because the times are different. The way of moving, making movies are different. The limitations are all just their own uh, ability to do so just hasn't come to that point. We might be saying similar things at my next pick, but we'll wait yeah. two weeks for that. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. But uh, yeah, I, I like this movie. It's not perfect. I do think for myself, it's a little too slowly paced. I wish that I cared about the wife and kid more than than I do. They are just... They're, they're a woman and a kid, don't you care? That's kind of the amount of efforts I put in. I mean, I know they she matter plays to- saxophone. That's like <laughs> character building, but... They matter to Max and in a less characterized sense, more objectified sense. I guess that's their purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh... 
I feel like there's uh, more to talk about. Honestly, I feel we can hold off when we do the other Mad Max movies. I will over the next however long i will just every now and then i'll, I'll suggest a mad max movie. i'm down i'm down i'm not going to do it each one of my turns and around there's some other movies i want to visit but i'm i'm keen to give them a go again because i love watching them they're very mood piece movies for me and uh the second one has a dog in it and uh it's probably one of the best movie dogs i've ever seen in my life hmm, better than scooby-doo well, that's a different that's a different thing, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> um, and there's a genuinely great movie dog, and I have lots of fun information about that movie dog. Yeah. Um, I guess last thing to point out is uh, Max never technically quit, so Fifi's still waiting. Fifi's still waiting. Yeah. You love Fifi, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I I do want to talk about Fifi just uh, to end it on because Fifi is this fucking <laughs> brick shit house. He's so big and dull and he looks like he should be in the gang <laughs> he looks like a no 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 disrespect to the man who's apparently still alive after having just done some he's still looking. watering the flowers he looks like a neo-nazi <laughs> like he's got this big bold like he just has this look i loved his when he's given max like the big inspirational speech about coming back and all of that and giving it time he's got that that's that tie or scarf on and his pecs are just like pulsating and <laughs> And his nipples are like bulging out, and he's got like his big head, and and his lines of dialogue are delivered with that faux uh, kind of British sing-songy accent in a way as well, that older school Australian accent where we have the British inflection a little bit, where he comes across as a guy that's a soldier who's trying to lead me into the trenches. I don't know. I love <laughs> Fifi. I think he's a very underrated character. I love that guy. And when I saw him, I said, that's the character Bartek would play. <laughs> oh, if, I, if only I were that big. I would love to play Goose. I love Goose. I think he's a fun character. Uh, but anything else you want to touch on? I think we got it all. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Two things. Music's great. Love the music in the movie. Just It's, it's just one of those things where the music kicks in. You go, yeah. Hmm. It's just this element of... These movies really know how to capture the, the the sense of masculinity, the overwhelming masculinity. Oh yeah, that's that's another thing I just remembered. Yeah, so I obviously I just watched the film the one time, um, but I remember not too long after I watched it in uh, the media class that I was mm-hmm. taking at school, we had a unit where we were talking about uh, film genres or subgenre things. Mm-hmm. And the topic of, you know, blokey films mm-hmm. came up and we all had to, you know, watch one each. Um, can't remember what I ended up watching, but a friend of mine was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to watch. And I actually lent him Mad, Mad Max. Max. So I always think of this film as like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a really blokey it's a bloke film. film. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird sexual stuff will get more so in the movies. This movie hints at, but the other ones go full hog of, uh, and I don't know how, we'll see when we go with the movies. There's plenty to talk about, but... The freaks are gay is a real thing in the other movies a lot. We saw that a little bit here. There was like a couple of thugs who would dance and there was that kind of they're clearly, you know, gay or have something going on there that was played up the, and that we played they put up. the gun in Johnny the Boy's mouth. Yeah, and that we played up more so. In the second film, one of the lead henchmen is just he has a twink boyfriend that has a- arseless chaps hanging on the back of his bike all the time. So we'll, we'll see more of that. The the second thing and the last thing I really, really want to talk about is the poster. The Mad Max poster. The first poster is my favorite Mad Max poster. It's this glorious poster of 
it should be Max, but it's technically Goose because the outfit is what Goose wears throughout the movie. But like Goose has a really awesome outfit of him on like a car or whatever, and he's holding the shotgun and he's just in this awesome pose with this amazing artwork style done of that 70s era poster stuff. If you haven't seen it, I'll show it to you at some point. But uh, it's my favorite Mad Max poster out of all of them. The other ones are fine, but that's the one mm. I really love. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I have seen it, but the way you described that does sound right. Because again, mm. for a lot of this film, it kind of is Great Goose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's it. Uh, I am um, very happy we talked about Mad Max. He got mad, and his name was Max. Uh, is his last name Polish or not? Um, I think it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just want to double check. You're the Polish expert. We'll ask your mama. My mama. Your mama. She will know. <laughs> Come back next week with homework. My mama. So I think Max I think, is I think it ended with a Y. So yeah, that, I wasn't too sure that's a bit if more, that excluded him from the Polish that, community. Yeah, that's a bit more Russiany, but maybe George Miller's just a dumb dumb. I don't know. George, come back to us next week with Bartek's mum. They come <laughs> hand in hand in the room. How did this film Skip, skipping to So how did this film influence Happy Feet? Because I haven't seen Happy Feet. Well. Well, there was some dancing in the movie, and oh. Happy Feet had some dancing. <laughs> I was going to... Between some gay penguins, evidently, I don't know. Or I was you or- would call them penguins. Penguins, yes. Penguins. I, I was originally going to pick uh, Happy Feet as my next choice just for a laugh, but it's... I've never seen Happy Feet. Me neither, yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's an Oscar-winning movie, I do believe. It, it is, yeah. But unfortunately, it's a co-American-Australian production. I don't... Uh, no so, American film next time. So you're going to pick Surf's Up. It's competition where it was about penguins yeah, who what, surf what, with Shia LaBeouf. What country is that from again? I have no clue. It's probably American. <laughs> well, if it's American. No, it's from uh, Penguin Land. Peng- penguin Land. Ping- Pingu. <laughs> it's from the country that Pingu's from. Pingu. I was on Pingu when I was a kid. I thought that was French. I thought they were speaking French. <laughs> Instead, it's just gibberish. Flashback to Ryan earlier in this episode. I was number one in my year level for French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, when I saw this, I was like five. Give me a break. <laughs> Didn't have French. I, was, oh, I wasn't I, number one in French until I was like 15. Five. Jeez, I was wrapping my head around English. Yeah. And now you have to wrap around Pinganese. Pinganese. So, you mean French? Noot, noot. <laughs> <laughs> so it is listening people's recommendation for the next episode. We've poured through the list and uh, we have some recent recommendations that really tickle <laughs> Recent. I put, it on, I put it on the list five days That's ago. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> so if you put yours on two years ago, Sorry. Somebody on YouTube really wanted us to do the Are You There Yet movies. So we're going to do the first one, which is Are You There Yet? The second one is Are You Done Yet? Which we'll do at some point in the future because I've seen the Are You Done Yet movie. Bartek has seen the Are You There? Are, are We There Yet movie. Yeah. Um, are We Done Yet? Are We There Yet? So so we're going to do Are We There Yet? Which has Ice Cube returning actor Ice Cube. We love Ice Cube. He's been a staple to us. He's kind of the new Paul Giamatti, honestly. We love his smiling face. He's always so happy and he's, upbeat. He's got that very nice band, the NWA? The NWA, yes. The, the W does. stands for with. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Thank you. Uh, so that is it from us. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents, where we will be posting things on there. And uh, we're back. We're back in the swing of things. Uh, let's continue it on. You can email us at Wherebontic. Spit and Polished at gmail.com. That is correct, Amundo. Past tense of Polish. You can rate and review us on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so. It is, of course, appreciated. If you do that, we would love it. Bartek would love to 
open up the podcast app that he uses and see a five-star review sitting there that says, I like the one that has the name that sounds like how it is said or whatever that <laughs> phrase was. Oh, boy. And so that is that from me. But uh, Bartek, pleasure as always. Uh, but you better run now because I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad, not sad, and you may get handcuffed if you stick around here. Well, you know, I got I got mad earlier in the episode, and I got over it, so you'll be fine. You'll be right. But I'm I'm less sensible. Okay, now you're you. sounding sad. <laughs> Ooh, you, I think you peaked the audio there for just one little moment. That made me mad. <laughs> <laughs>